invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2, where we're at. We will be studying a part two, if you will, a continuation of last week's thinking and study. Last week we started examining verses 1 through 10 here in 1 Samuel 2. We looked at the song of Hannah and her response of joy to having her son Samuel. If you remember, I framed this study really as I thought about or I was moved by another verse in the scripture. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I hope what I did last week was I brought out some of our preconceptions. And that is, the odds are, if you and I come from a church background that really emphasizes the, the central belief or the excitement and the reality in the born-again experience, sometimes it's almost to the detriment of the reality that our rebirth puts us into a much longer experience. And that is citizenship in the kingdom of God. You following me? So, So it seemed to me, and it still does, that this song that Hannah is singing, she's laying out aspects of the king or the God that she serves. And so in extension, she's laying out the king and his kingdom. She's talking about who the king is and therefore what kind of kingdom that we are born into. So I invite you to stand in reading this song of hers if you're able to stand. And then I'll remind you of first two characteristics we looked at last week. And then we'll be trekking into the last two this week. So 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk No more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills And brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. And he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
we invite you to speak to us in these moments. We trust that your spirit has wrote these words. We trust that your spirit is the one who teaches these things to us today. Holy Spirit, open up our ears, our eyes, our hearts. Help us to love your word. Help us to obey your word. Help us to not shrink back from when your word convicts us. Help us to hear your word as a loving father would deliver instruction to children. Father, we pray most of all that we would mature in the faith, that we would love and serve you more, to be obedient because we love you, not because we fear you, and to love and serve others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I saw four primary themes, topics, characteristics, if you will, in Hannah's song. And they started with two of which we considered last week. First, she sings about the fact that we have a king who saves us into joy in verse 1. We talked about the fact that Hannah is no doubt overjoyed that she went from barren to giving birth to Samuel, but her joy is grounded in the Lord. She's rejoicing not in the fact of what God has given her so much as she's rejoicing in the Lord, period. (laughs) You hear the difference. Um, It's an incredible, significant difference. It's, It's the difference of when your spouse hears, I love you, versus, I love you for all the gifts you give me. (laughs) The latter is a little self-serving, right? Hannah says she rejoices. There is joy in the Lord. In verses 2 and 3, she sings about the fact that we have a king whose holiness humbles us. She says plain and simple that there is no one holy like God. There is no one like God, period. There's no rival to God. No equal and opposite to God. There's just God the Sovereign, period. And His very existence should humble us. His very existence, coupled with the fact that He's sovereign over all things, means we don't call the shots on what He's thinking. But we do have His ear. And through Christ and His Spirit, we have His heart. So let's pray for His will to be done at all times. Let's live humbly enjoying Him. Let's not live pathetic lives that fear that we've disappointed Him, nor should we live proud lives that think He lives to serve us. That's last week. In these last verses we're looking at today, in verses 4-8, through we find that we have a king invested in our lives. And lastly, we find that we have a king who judges, comma, thankfully. As we move into this idea that we have a king invested in our lives, I want you to saturate in that thought for a minute. Even the best of human leaders cannot touch the shadow of the investment that our king has in our lives. The most favored president you've ever voted for, the most favorite pastor you've ever had, the best teacher that you've ever had, the best job manager, boss, you've ever had, none of them are as personable. None of them are as warm and familiar. None of them are as close to you as the king of our kingdom. 
Last week, we talked about, again, his humbleness or his holiness humbles us. But simply because he's sovereign and transcendent does not stop him from being down on our level to be invested in our lives. That's Hannah's third theme I see here in verses 4 through 8. We read, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up from the poor the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Where is God? Some skeptics might ask. Maybe even some believers ask, what's he doing? (laughs) In the kingdom of God, we find that the mighty are broken. In Hannah's uh, history and in her people, she descends from a people ruled by a king who broke the mightiest empire on earth, Egypt. (laughs) A mighty king who cleared a land and conquered it for his people under Joshua. A mighty king who most recently in Hannah's day showed himself to be their deliverer from tribe after tribe after tribe under many, many judges. Because he is a God who breaks the mighty. He is a God who strengthens the feeble. I mentioned last week that this song of Hannah, these verses, um, really touch on themes throughout the books of First and Second Samuel. The great King David is in large part introduced to us as a young shepherd with nothing but a slingshot and a few rocks. And he comes before a giant named Goliath. But the feeble, the young, the unarmed are clothed in strength while the giant warrior, the mighty, is broken. While this is unique for the world, these ideas, this isn't unique in the kingdom of God. In fact, it's just one of many upside-down kingdom paradoxes in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, which invades and lives alongside our world, we know the poor become rich and the rich become poor. The first become last and the last first. And those who seek to save their lives will lose them, while others who lose their lives for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom ultimately find it. Hannah gives us another paradox in the beginning of verse 5. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. I think about the prodigal son. What does he do? He gets all of his money and then he wastes it all. And besides that, a famine comes where he's living and he grows hungry. Meanwhile, what does the father tell the son who stays home? You're always welcome to all that's mine, son. It's all yours. See, in the kingdom, for those who are subject to the king, one never hungers in the ways that matter. In God's kingdom, broken, barren, want-to-be moms don't just finally have a baby. They have a baby like Samuel, the last judge. That's the end of verse 5 here. The barren has borne seven, seven being a number of completion. 
Hannah is, is singing that after only having Samuel, she's saying, I'm complete. If I've just had Samuel, I'm complete. Although in verse 21 in this same chapter, we will see that ultimately Hannah would have six kids after all was said and done. Meanwhile, Hannah says, but she who has many children is forlorn. Other translations would use here wastes away or becomes childless. Hannah could be thinking of Penina. You remember her? She's the other wife, kind of a crowded home. Was Penina really glad to have children? Or was she just popping them out and rubbing that fact in Hannah's face? (laughs) Christy and I wanted to have kids for quite some time before we got pregnant with Calvin. And I remember thinking about the irony. How just how do people just oops get pregnant? <laughs> or maybe some of you have known or, or I don't know. Maybe some of you have been here. Baron, uh, I had a pen pal for a while, another pastor across the states. And his story was that he and his wife wanted kids. And beyond not being able to get pregnant, it seemed that every chance for even adoption ended up being a closed door. Hannah knows the value of a child the world does not. Friends, the society that the first church was in, pagan Rome, pagans were known to expose unwanted children to the elements and just abandon them. And rather quickly, Christians were quick to minister to them and adopt them. Friends, our sovereign God cares about the injustice of abortion. And our sovereign God is invested in what's happening and knows that among those who have many children and maybe might kill some in the process. In the very next segment, we will study at the end of Hannah's song that God is judge. But right now know that he is invested. In verses 6 through 8, we come across four merisms. And I know you all know that word, so I won't talk about it. No, just kidding. A merism is a phrase... That has equal and opposites, and it's meant to illustrate something all-inclusive. You're going to fall for this hook, line, and sinker. That's kind of a merism. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, and he raises up. Sheol being an ancient term, people debate, is it the afterlife or is it the grave? The point, ultimately, God's in charge of anyone who lives or dies. He permits tragic death but even in permission it means God is in control do you hear that what's more amazing here too is that Hanta is pointing to the greater king David Jesus as I have been saying this this song is showing us the themes in first and second Samuel but what about the Lord raising up or the Lord bringing to life While there may be many psalms talking about God raising people out of the pit, it seems to me that Hannah is prophesying about the greater King David, that that is Jesus who truly brings resurrection life, who truly raises people from Sheol. Verse 7, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. God is in charge of people's station in life. Sometimes he leaves the consequences of people's actions to decide their means. Other times he may bless a person. Where we can take hope is that he will bring low those who think that they're in charge of the world. And he will exalt the lowly. 
Maybe you know the phrase, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Indeed, in verse 8, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. We might again think about King David, a shepherd boy who goes to king. Or Hannah herself, a barren wife who has borne the last judge, Samuel. Or as Mary sings in the Magnificat, that song she sings to her cousin Elizabeth in Luke 1, strikingly similar to Hannah's song, she says in Luke 1.52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. We think about Jesus, a poor carpenter, raised to be the Prince of Peace, inheriting the position of the right hand of God. While King Herod tried to kill him, or Pontius Pilate is confounded before him. But more so, it also goes back to this upside-down kingdom thing. This lose-your-life-for-the-sake-of-the-gospel thing. In the Gospel account of Matthew, right after Jesus talks to the rich young ruler, he walks away sad. Jesus explains to the disciples how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God and the The disciples are baffled and they say, well, who then can be saved, right? If this rich young man who has kept all the commandments, except for that thing about you said selling everything to follow you, if he can't make it, who can be saved? And with God, says Jesus, all things are possible. And then I imagine this, this is how I imagine it. Peter is filling the weight. He's feeling the strain and and wanting to make it into the kingdom, but wondering if he and the disciples are worthy. And so we pick up in Matthew 19, verses 27. Uh, Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. He raises the poor from the dust, the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Don't you love that king? Aren't you glad to be a citizen in that kingdom? Friends, we have a king who serves us. We have a king invested in us. We have a king who doesn't look on lowly estates and and statuses as well-deserved because of our bad choices or nobodies to look over because maybe we come from nobodies. But for those who cling to the king, for those who trust in the king as Hannah did, the king sees opportunities to redeem everywhere. Our king sees prodigal sons to receive with love everywhere. Our king raises the poor, raises the needy. He exalts them in seats of honor. Now that's rare for a king, but thank God, truly, it's the one true king of the world that we have. Amen? That's what Hannah sings in the latter part of verse 8. For the pillars, other translations here would say foundations, of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. So Hannah ends these statements 
wherein which she has been saying that the king is invested in his people. And Hannah says, this is all true because the very pillars, the very foundations of the world are our kings. In other words, he owns the world. He owns the people. As King David would say in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth is God's. The people are God's. Friends, like I said last week, don't let theological facts like this just pass into your mind simply and easily. This is your king. This is my king. And this is true. Our king owns the world. That should bring great comfort. How's the world going to end? It's in our king's hands. Who's going to watch out for us as a people and as individuals? Our king does. And he owns the very world we operate in. So he's highly qualified. Who cares about us when nobody else might? Our king does. And he died for us. So he's shown that he loves us. Who sees injustice that we might see, but the authorities might not? Our king does. Who sees the suffering of voiceless million unborn children and the neglect and selfishness of would-be parents and the crying hearts of want-to-be parents? Our King does. Our King does. And in His kingdom, the barren give birth. And in His kingdom, the lowly are exalted. And in His kingdom, the proud are humbled. Now, you and I hear this. We want to believe it. In fact, maybe we think we do believe it. But then we start to see more suffering. And we mourn over injustice. And we still wonder, is our king who he says he is? And Hannah ends her song with this truth that not only is he invested in us, but he also judges, thankfully. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So do you hear this? He, our king, will guard the feet of who? His faithful ones. His covenant people. How? For not by might shall a man prevail. You and I, if we're faithful, it's because we know we depend on God's power alone. This means that if you feel weak, if you feel incapable, know that God will guard your feet. He'll guard your steps. He'll direct your steps. The sovereign king, saint, that's what faithful ones are, saint, is directing you. And if you wonder at the injustice, know that God has fixed the day. Know that the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, because again, not by might shall a man prevail. That means that all the prowess and all the ingenuity and all the so-called progress some people think they make, the king knows and sees and judges rightly. There is no such thing as the ultimate success of the ungodly. You need to hear that again. There is no such thing as the ultimate success of the ungodly. 
the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth, that means there is no injustice that will be overlooked. There is no tragedy that will be forgotten and unredeemed. There is no unborn whose murderers will not be called to account for. Every single sin will be called to account. And for the citizens and the saints of the kingdom, the king's blood will pay the price. And for the rebels and the fugitives of the kingdom, we read what happens. Cut off in darkness, broken to pieces, thundered against from heaven. And I love how Hannah ends here. Because I'm sure you've seen it, but just in case if you haven't, you've seen Jesus through all of this, haven't you? In verse 1 of 1 Samuel 2, I brought up last week, Hannah rejoices in God's salvation. The word for salvation, Yeshua. She rejoices in Jesus. In verse 5, For those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Jesus is the bread of heaven. Verse 6, The Lord, Jesus, brings to life. Jesus raises up. We read how Jesus in verse 8 makes His disciples to sit with Him and rule and reign. And then here in verse 10, Hannah refers to a king. He will give strength to His king and exalt the horn of His anointed. Hannah is a story of a barren woman who gave birth to Samuel. She is singing the song of a nation, barren of a human king at this time in history. At the dawn of the kingdom of Israel, prophetically speaking of a king that will come in Samuel's lifetime, but we know she's ultimately referring to the king of kings. The Lord will give strength to His king. Saul is coming. David is coming. But then He will exalt the horn. And we talked about horn last week, a symbol of strength. He will exalt the horn of His anointed. Now we have commentators and study notes telling us that anointed was a common term given to kings, the anointed of Israel. But in the New Testament, anointed comes to mean just one man. Because anointed here is the Hebrew word Messiah, which in turn is the Greek word Christ. Friends, from I rejoice in the Lord, my salvation, my Yeshua, my Jesus, to the Lord will exalt the strength of the Messiah of Christ. Hannah is singing about her king, who she doesn't know personally, but she knows in name. Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Our king is Jesus Christ, and Jesus is a king who saves his people into joy. Jesus is a king who humbles us with his holiness. Jesus is a king invested in our lives, and Jesus is the judge, thankfully. If you are part of his kingdom, I invite you to keep drawing closer to the king, to experience his joy and to rest in his holiness, and to know that he is not an absent king with more important things to do, but rather you and I were and are his most important things to be about. And I also invite you to trust in Jesus that when you are judged, to trust Jesus to rightfully judge and bring all injustices under His righteous judgment. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we have a King, and His name is Jesus Christ. We do thank You 
that the king of kings, the, the very creator and sustainer of the universe, is so incredibly personally invested in us. So much so that you would humble yourself, Philippians tells us, to the point of death on a cross. We don't understand that because we see people who rise to power and keep it and are willing to kill to keep it. But here you are already in power and you humble yourself. Father, we look around the world. We talked about the injustices of abortion, murder today. But you remind us that you are invested, that you have fixed a date to bring about judgment, but also that you are a gracious redeemer. And so we pray for the redemption. We pray for the repentance of all nations who would commit abortion. Father, many of us have been struck personally today, myself included. We pray for the grace of repentance and obedience. Father, to know that not only are you Savior, but you are Lord. Father, help us to allow you and to yield to you to be Lord over our lives, to be obedient in every aspect. Father, we thank you again that you come to us and you speak to us out of love, love of a perfect Father. Help us to...